to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that ineffable laughter comes from Linda Stitt. But before we go there, I want to say it's time for Off the Top. And with your host, Charlene, here, and with Gary Burke in the technology department taking care of things, and with that wonderful intro music by Joe Burton. Uh, We're here today, and I've got to tell you, it's a treat. We've got Linda Stitt, poet, philosopher, Great religious icon for those of us who know her, spiritual mentor, and she's going to hit me if I keep going. So, Linda, would you just hit it and read a beautiful poem for us? Okay, I want to start off with my regular starting off poem, just to uh, set it up, and then um, and then after this we can get as raunchy as we like. Okay, <laughs> I'm very pleased to hear that. <laughs> it's called Time Out. We were always one. There was only one. There never was anyone else. But just to make the sport more scary, we played the game of solitary and hid ourselves in mysteries swathed in our separate histories and dreamed of finding one. But it was always one. One hung upon the cross. One sat beneath the Bodhi tree, and one was good, and one was bad, and one was all there'll ever be, shaman and cynic, sinner and saint. Behind the mask, beneath the paint, beyond the blade of arbitrary time, there has been one, integral, and sublime, being whatever, however, whoever it chose to be, being you, being me, being itself in myriad manifestation. And not to spoil the game, but just to have a moment's celebration, let's recollect with love and jubilation that we are one. Ah, marvelous. Pass it along. Pass it along. (laughs) That's a very good thing to pass along indeed. Now you have many books of poetry here you're going to read from, so I'm waiting for the next one, the next poem. Okay, the next poem. I guess you meant that one? Sure, that's a poem that works really well. Let me see. Oh, what we did, ladies and gentlemen and listeners, just so you know, is I went quickly through some of Linda's amazing numbers of books, and I was supposed to have marked where we were going to be reading from, but apparently I've managed to uh, not do that as well as I thought I had. So now we're kind of flipping through, and although every single one of them is a great piece of Wonderful poetry. Okay, let me read this one. Okay, you go All ahead right. and read that okay, one. Okay, I'm going to read this one. Read that one. <laughs> How could you not read that one <laughs> yeah. now? Right? It's called War Zone. We go blindly into battle, unable to see that our own animosity is the adversary. If we lay waste the cities of our foe and bomb their dwellings into dust, 
We will not make our homes invulnerable. Their misery will be our misery. And when we teach our children hatred, inculcate them with ruthlessness, what will this accomplish? We shall have poisoned our own seed. And when we imprison and torture and heap indignities upon our captives, can we not see it is our own souls we brutalize? And if we win a victory and stride across the corpses of our enemies, we will not have conquered ourselves. And if we make blood sacrifice to our God, what will that avail us? Only a deity as wrathful as ourselves, only unliberated prophets. Enmity fosters enmity. If we have not defeated ill will, we have won nothing. Only the realization of our oneness is the peace beyond the poles of separation. Only love is the victory. Well put. Only love is the victory. Damn right. Say that again. Now. Damn right, I said. All right. <laughs> CTRC will be fine with that, I'm sure. And we have another poem coming up here. When did you start writing? Oh, probably about the time I could talk. Excellent. My mother read poetry to me in the womb. And I say that I emerged forth crying in iambic pentameter. <laughs> I, from someone else, that would be a boast. From you, it's probably true. <laughs> and they've never been able to shut me up since. Yeah, I should add that, right? <laughs> And my folks used to encourage me. They used to just, um, take me on a long car ride and say, Linda, tell us a story or give us a poem or something. It's mainly just to keep me out of their hair, but they did encourage me. So, And ever since, you've been totally incorrigible, I've noticed. I try. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to read you a poem called uh, Minding My Business. A poetry book is not a moneymaker. It is an article of faith, a statement of illogic, an exploration below the bottom line. Poetry books are not produced by multinational corporations or military-industrial complexes or bureaucrats or committees or those to whom profit and power are the goals of existence. Poetry is not for the dishonest, the greedy, the harborers of ill will. It is the language which spirit speaks to spirit, reminding itself of mutuality. A poem is a possibility. It is not contained by concepts. It confounds expectations. It is the universal solvent flung at the barriers of separation to crack the shell of certainty and melt the membrane of the mind that is made up. It says, We are all part of an awesome truth, a magnificent adventure. Only poetry can voice the ineffable, channel the ephemeral, capture 
the delicate without damaging its wings. Let us tell each other our stories, our insights, our aspirations. I am so weary of party lines and propaganda of bombast and dogma and incomprehensible claptrap. Talk to me in poetry. It is all I understand. Wonderful. And that sort of sums up any question I might have about your relationship to poetry, (laughs) what you think of poetry and how poetry operates in your life. A total addiction, you know. And the muse, the muse rules me completely. Wakes me up at two, three, four in the morning, or catches me when I think I'm going to go to sleep, and uh, and demands that I pay attention. Keeps you from falling asleep. I'm writing a poem about that because some of the sci- science have said that too too little sleep gives you a dull mind. So I think I have an excuse. <laughs> Sounds like that'll be a great poem. <laughs> Blame it on the muse. Yes. Can I read this one? Yes, please do. Epiphany. Yes, this is called Epiphany. This is true. Last week, as I passed beneath the branches of a budding maple, I was struck square atop the head by a liquid pigeon dropping. I think it was a pigeon. By the time I looked up, remembering dilatorily to close my mouth, the culprit had vanished too quickly for a positive identification. I stood for a moment, blotting my pate with a Kleenex, and then resumed my walk, pondering the cosmic import of the incident. What are the odds, I wondered, against this particular concatenation of happenings, this synchronicity of step and sphincter? I am aware that such an occurrence is considered fortunate by some. Is this mere superstition, or, in this case, a significant phenomenon? Am I a lucky shithead? Or simply an avian latrine? Is this a heavenly fertilization that will nurture some meaningful growth, some momentous expansion? In which case... Is all the shit in my life a forerunner of wisdom, a harbinger of insight, a compost for consciousness? I have explored, examined, contemplated, and concluded that this was a spiritual wake-up call, a celestial reminder that even the unlikeliest event serves to ring the bell of the Dharma. Dung! (laughs) That's almost an unforgivable pun. Almost. (laughs) (laughs) It's not my fault. I I couldn't help. It just happened. You know, it just... uh, there it yeah, was. Sometimes they just ha- they just happen. I just... They being the the bird droppings, or they being the poems. All the all all the whole bunch of the shit. All of it, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, it just keeps happening. Yeah, it goes. Shall I entertain with a short story about yeah. some of our nefarious past? Oh, do that. 
Uh, at one point, Linda and I, we did about eight years of performance poetry in Toronto, and we were in the Rex Hotel, the downtown beautiful Rex Hotel, with the Sahara <laughs> Hotel Dart one Sunday afternoon. And uh, we found, as we looked out over the audience, there was one man in the back who looked very, very well-built, very big arms, and he looked really unhappy about Linda and I getting on the stage, and as soon as we started, he was heckling us with words like, get those dykes off the stage, and who are those two lesbians, and yelling quite vociferously. Well, my response well, to I it... I immediately kissed you. <laughs> no, <laughs> not in public ever. <laughs> and I'm happily married to a man, so that's... Uh... Uh, this man's fantasy is what it was, his bad fantasy. I was looking for the exit, and Linda said to me, Char, I don't have my glasses on. Where is he sitting? I want to aim a poem at him. So I thought that was really a, a very strong statement about her, your belief in poetry. And then after the event, you were speaking with someone, that's true, and, yes, uh, indeed, I remember we, that. We gathered ourselves to go outside, holding each other's hands, which we never did, but it was through absolute fear, because you had learned the man had just got out of prison for assault and battery. Yes. So that was, uh, that. Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, people think that poetry is all light and easy and white gloves. Well, not so. And get right down dark and deep and dirty on the dark side there. A little moment of uh, being completely concerned. But it passed, and now you have a poem for us. And now I'm going to read you Song of the Frigid Woman or Baby, It's Cold Inside. Oh, Lord, please give me an impotent man. I enjoy a good hug whenever I can, but celibacy is my ultimate plan. So give me an impotent man. He could be taking some strong medication that dampens his drive or have some combination of injury, age, ennui, and castration. Just give me an impotent man. I haven't completely abandoned romance. I just choose to relate where there isn't the chance stepping out might involve stepping out of my pants. Please, Give me an impotent man. No thrill in the masculine member, I find, since my worn-out libido just up and resigned. But I love intercourse with the masculine mind. So, give me an impotent man. The truth must be told, and the facts must be faced. No man in his prime or his senses would waste a moment in chasing the forcibly chased. So, Give me an impotent man. Oh, Lord, please don't send me some lusty young buck, because I'm convinced, with my usual luck, I'd want conversation, and he'd want to physically express his affection. Oh, give me an impotent man. Thank you, Linda, and thank you, listeners. That's one happy ending to Off the Top for this week. Bye for now. Bye for now.